same way that many of us did with SportsCenter and ESPN. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports. I'm Tom Richardson, and I'm joined by my longtime co-host, Joe Favorito. Joe, it's going to be eight years in December. We will have to have a special anniversary podcast. What's going on? It is the middle of October, Tom, in 2023, and I honestly cannot think of very few weeks where there wasn't a major sporting event going on that has had more interesting twists and turns than the past eight days from when we had our conference at Columbia on Friday, October 9th. Really an unbelievable week. Which which ones in particular you want to point out? So we can go down we can go down the list of record attendance at the WNBA finals to the NHL deciding to ban colored tape, which is again one of the I most ridiculous that. things I've ever heard. And right. hopefully by the time people listen to this, there will probably be some NHL players who have threatened the ban and the ban will have been overturned. Um, obviously, when we left Columbia last Friday on October 6th, we had no idea what was happening the next morning um, in Israel. And right. the amazing outpouring, I mean, the tragic, which continues to go on, but this uh, Thursday night with one of the Maccabi teams playing in, in Brooklyn and the outpouring, I just read a oh, story. I didn't, I didn't that. see that. Oh. And, um, you know, the interesting response of teams and leagues to the conflict and how that is continuing to play out. I was involved in some of that this week. Amazing listening to, I was at the Sportico conference on Wednesday and listened to everybody from (laughs) Randy Levine and Hal Steinbrenner, not exactly agreeing on everything that the New York Yankees are doing to uh, Steve Cohen deciding that, yeah, probably we have to start winning some games, which was interesting and very you know, enlightening to Ted Leonsis admitting that he's about to buy a baseball team. So, so it was, and then, you know, obviously our conference, which was 350 people, most we've ever had last Friday, amazing speakers, really interesting people showing up and, and the learning. And the thing that amazed me most as you and I talked about this week is there were people, it was pretty much a packed room at the end of the day at four o'clock and there were no drinks afterwards. So that's how, and and by the way, the last topic was analytics. Right, so, right. So that was a risky so, move, scheduling wise, but it paid um, off. Joe, the biggest highlight for me that day was, of course, I got at my picture taken with Otmar, the team yep. principal from F1, who I got to know through Drive to Survive. But what a nice guy he was! Really great one-on-one with Chris Lincheski. Yep. Enjoyed that, and then uh, Don Garber did a wonderful job as always, and John Miller, the three mm-hmm. keynotes. So we think uh, for listeners. Um, who might be interested, we may be posting some of that content as part of this uh, podcast yeah. uh, publishing schedule. So look for that in coming days and weeks. Joe, one more thing about what was going on this week. It's more mundane than the bigger issues you mentioned, but it is an interesting twist in the Kelly MLB Swift. 2023 story. Oh, no, just I think Kelly that, Swift. And this amazing, this amazing season, breaking attendance up 9.6%, some really great stories like the Baltimore Orioles and lo and behold <laughs> uh the worst case scenario seems to have played out uh in terms of the media side of what they're facing in the playoffs so we had a bunch of sweeps I think an unprecedented number of sweeps mm-hmm. and we're ending up with four markets and no disrespect to any of these cities or areas but not exactly what MLB was looking for and it's a reminder that 
for as much planning as leaks and networks can do, you never know how the ball's going to drop. So, nope, nope. Uh, I don't know about you, but my interest is actually, I'm not a huge baseball fan. My interest has actually declined already based on this, this outcome. So, talking about declining interest, and we'll be talking with our guest about some of the editorial stuff as well. I read a Yahoo story this morning that said that the Phillies eliminated the Dodgers, which actually isn't true. But that's no, okay. Right. That was the headline on Yahoo this morning. Seriously? Phillies, All right. Phillies eliminate Dodgers. So, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> which, you know, bad information you know, out there in the, the internet. Way, you know, the years that did happen, but I, I think the Diamondbacks probably had something to do with eliminating the Dodgers. So, yes, anyway. exactly. Who, never All let right. the facts get in the way of a good story. On we go. Yeah. So, we're really excited about uh, this chat. Um, not only because of the topic we're going to get into, but also the individual that we were lucky to have. Um, I'll just tee it up by saying, Joe, you know that one of my themes is about how disruptive the force of short-form video highlights, GIFs, memes has been in the world of sports media over the last 10 years. I like to refer to it in my class as the highlights industrial complex. And one of the companies, I often talk about the companies that are in that space leading the charge, and there's no better example than House of Highlights. Who would have thunk it, Joe? six, seven years ago when we knew this young man that we would be talk, we would have in the program the future VP and general manager of House of Highlights. The keys to uh, the house, you can say, Tom. Keys to the house. Yeah. It's just such a great story on so many levels. And we're talking about uh, Drew Muller, who graduated from the program, I believe, six years ago. Drew, seven, something like that. Uh, coming on seven, yeah, just over seven yeah. years yeah. Okay, and what a what an amazing career run he's had since uh, joining Turner Sports and getting involved with House of Highlights, where he is, as I mentioned, the general manager and vice president. He's been uh, he was a great student in the program. He went on to actually be, and I'm proud to say, my course assistant first semester, mm-hmm. and it's been really fun watching his career blossom. So we're lo- really happy and lucky to have him today to talk about one of the most interesting topics in business. So, Drew, welcome to the show. Thank you guys so much for having me. Um, I'm I'm definitely honored to be here, and it's overdue. I would say I I, I was mentioning this earlier, but I, I remember when you guys first were launching this when I was still in the program, and just seeing uh, all the episodes and, and awesome guests that you guys have had over the years. It's been really cool to to follow along, and not enough people are having you know the types of conversations you guys are uh, in the in the sports and media space, which is really cool to see. Drew, it just cool. occurred to me I hadn't thought of this memory in a while. But uh, listening to you say that, thinking back to that uh, year, do you remember the former president of Bleacher Report, Rory Brown? Yeah, of course. A great okay. guy and have, have a close relationship with him. Okay. So do you, were, were you in the class? I don't think you were when I had him visit my digital media class. No, I think that was the year prior. Okay. Uh, so Joe, this yeah. the reason I mentioned it is that that was actually one of the major inspirations of me to do the pod. He was nice enough to come visit the class, and I was so mm. taken by his really intelligent remarks, his insights, and I was sitting there thinking, and this is when podcasting kind of became more of a common thing because of what Apple did with um, the app. I, I was sitting there thinking, God, I, this is such good content. I wish I could have captured this. Mm-hmm. These, this is really valuable insight for the other students in the program who are not here right now. I wish we could have this for them. And Joe, that was one of the impetuses for me to talk to you, know, you and Vince about it. And anyway, so that that's a good memory, uh, Drew. So 
Let's start with this, Drew. I've, Joe and I have a bunch of questions for you, and this is one of the more interesting and, in certain cases, fraught topics we have in sports media right now. So, uh, But let's get to know you a little bit more. Just do a, a quick review of the career journey from Tulane and uh, and kind of level set on, on, on where you ended up. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I graduated Tulane in 2014, um, and I took a job with the NBA Retired Players Association, which is based in Chicago at that time, uh, and was focused really on breaking into the whole, you know, sponsorship, uh, player endorsement, marketing world of of sports. So that at that time was my planned uh, inroad. Uh, it was a summer internship that was supposed to turn into a full time job. And at the same time that I was uh, deciding whether or not to plant roots in Chicago, I was also applying to uh, graduate school programs for sports business. And reason for that being that I felt like there were a lot of aspects of whether it be finance, uh, you know, accounting, law, you know, some of the harder skills that would revolve around, um, you know, a a higher level sports business career that I, I felt like I could still refine a bit better. Um, and, you know, put out a couple of applications, some of which to, to places that I didn't expect to get into, uh, one of which being Columbia University and ended up getting into Columbia at the same time that, uh, the program was launching a full-time track, uh, marketed to, um, you know, students or prospective students like myself that wanted to kind of get in and and fully immerse versus, you know, some of the successful part-time uh, tracks that had been going previously. So made a decision after about four months in Chicago to just jump back to New York where I'm, you know, born and raised and uh, go two feet into uh, a, a graduate program to to kind of strengthen some of those skills that I that I wanted to to develop back then and, and really use it as a springboard into uh, an avenue into the sports industry in New York, which, you know, as you start to talk with people that are in it, you hear how close knit it is um, and how tight it is. But until you're in it, it's hard to figure out how to get into that. So, you know, I think the fact that Columbia was based in New York and all the incredible um, conferences and access opportunities it set up in addition to professors, uh, I put that in quotes, similar to yourselves who are professionals, right? It's not really like um, a very different experience than, than undergraduate education. So for me, you know, it was the right decision at the right time. Um, and essentially, uh, from that full-time program, um, or while doing the full-time program, I got the opportunity, uh, to start as a ad sales sports marketing coordinator with, uh, what was formerly known as Turner Sports, uh, focus, focusing specifically on the Bleacher Report property. And I got that job while I was still, uh, finishing the Columbia program. So I, I switched to a part-time student and, and, did the work during the day and program during the night, which was always a, a fun um, experience as well. And yeah, I mean, over the last eight years, uh, my career has kind of taken twists and turns as the overall media and entertainment landscape has itself. Um, I like to think about, a, a you know, what I hoped to be doing when I was in both of your classes and it, I couldn't have dreamt of doing what I'm doing now because the brand that I work for didn't exist and the platforms where we have some of our biggest audiences weren't launched yet. So the speed at which um, a lot of these things has changed has created a lot of opportunity for for me professionally to kind of move from 
a role that was very focused on sponsorship marketing and the ad sales world of Turner Sports into more of a business operations role and now into a, a, gener a general management role, um, overseeing a team of about 35 people that work on you know the House of Highlights business, as well as our, our gaming and uh, kicks portfolio, which we kind of call a lifestyle portfolio within uh, WBD Sports. So, Drew, can you take us through, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit of the evolution of, you know, not really the beginning of Bleacher Report, which is a totally different model, but even when when Omar Raja was there and House of Highlights launched and and the evolution of, from an editorial standpoint of where it was then, which was much more hard news, to kind of where it is today and how that's been, you know, the success of that is obviously driven by, you know, a lot of the stuff that you're doing these days. Yeah, absolutely. So when I first started, again, my role was focused specifically on Bleacher Report. And that was before uh, we had acquired what at that time was an Instagram account run by someone in their college dorm room that I think had around 400,000 followers. So Bleacher Report, when I had started at the company in 2015, was going through this progression from what was a dot-com app O&O based business um, into a, a really big social business and was making big bets on the value of that audience, I think a lot earlier than most of the traditional publishers and other media companies were. So, um, you know, at that time, the question mark was, well, how much value can you put on a scaled social business? What are the avenues for monetization? How much of your own destiny can you control if you're kind of playing in others' sandbox, so to speak? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it was a huge credit to the, the leadership group at BR at that time um, to kind of push full steam ahead, knowing that some of those questions you'll never have a perfect answer to. But at the end of the day, audience and eyeballs and staying relevant with that younger audience will always find its way into um, business opportunities. And I, I think that's held true. And that was also true with the acquisition of House of Highlights. Um, Doug Bernstein, who is the former GM of House of Highlights, who is my former boss, um, you know, came across the Instagram handle at the very early days of video on Instagram, as crazy as that is to say, right? Um, and was seeing this account that was taking off very, very quickly and seemed to have engagement that outpaced its following count um, and was, you know, ripping highlights from from leagues, sometimes filming highlights on, you know, the, the TV screen. And there was just something about the essence of the voice, um, the relatability, the authenticity of how it was delivering sports content that felt very different at that time in uh, late 2015, 2016. Um, and he and, and, a, and a group at VR at that time, including Rory and many others, uh, led the acquisition of that, mainly from the lens of saying, this is an asset, this person and this account is doing something interesting. Uh, what that looks like down the road, we'll have to figure out together. And um, that that kind of created the opportunity for me to move from my role focus on Bleacher Report, social sales, ad sales marketing into a business operations role that uh, was kind of like a startup within this larger company. So Omar Raja, who you mentioned earlier, who's the founder of House of Highlights, Myself, uh, Doug Bernstein, a guy by the name of Sam Gilbert, who oversaw con uh, over still oversees content, um, and, and uh, a few others were kind of part of that core group that were like, all right, this is an Instagram account that does highlights. What can it become? How do we make this a, a team and a brand? 
that has its own, you know, voice and identity and can be complementary to Bleacher Report's business and not uh, cannibalize it, which ha- has definitely been a fun challenge over the last, you know, six, seven years. Hey, True, um, we actually had Omar on the pod, Joe, what was that, maybe two years ago, year and a half or something, mm-hmm. now at ESPN, as everybody knows. Um, his story is amazing. It's one of the great stories in sports media history, I would say, while I was at Miami, starting this thing and then uh, building it into this this uh, very um, impressive side hustle that got acquired. Um Joe, as I recall, he talked about how he just did it out of his fandom. Like he just loved sports and he just wanted to share things. He he wasn't some master long-term media strategy that he was building to do this. It was it, it was kind of just obviously homegrown. Those days are long gone in social media. There's some improvisation still with maybe certain places, but for for you guys at Turner, Warner Brothers Discovery Sports, this is an important, really important asset. This has been said publicly by your leadership through the years. I remember David Levy, Joe, mm-hmm. saying in the early days that after the acquisition of Bleacher Report and subsequently House of Highlights, I mean, he I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it's like this is the future of Turner Sports. And <clears throat> this kind of came to uh it's zenith, I would say, in recent weeks with the launch of the new sports tier added to Max, which, as you guys probably know, is called Max with the Bleacher Report sports add-on. Not the most catchy name, but mm. that's what it is. And yeah. you probably know it exists now. So I want to just tee that up because it seems as though the brand of the combined brand of Bleacher Report and House of Highlights has become effectively leaving aside the live deals, kind of the tail wagging the dog. And it, and it reflects what's happened in media with the rise of uh, social media and video, as you said. So the question in that is now it's way more important, way more strategic. Have you seen a shift in the way you actually think of and strategize about the asset? I would say definitely. And, and when you, when you guys were running through some of the big, uh, you know, news moments of the last week. I was I was going to jump in with the BR Sports uh, on Max launch, but I, I held back. But yeah, that that was one of the biggest moments for the company, and obviously like a huge step for the perception of the brand that was you know inconceivable seven eight years ago. And and I think to your point, um, a lot of that has been a recognition uh, from the the leadership across sports and and WB of WBD of you know, the power of the brand and what that can help in terms of differentiating a, a product or platform offering if you're trying to speak to that next generation of fans. And I think that's always been the value prop of what BR and HOH do within this larger sports portfolio is to say, um, you know, there, there's incredible fandom and there's incredible amounts of value that come from those live sports properties and assets. And those will continue. But I think it's about what can you add to that by translating uh, those properties, those assets into next generation consumption on platforms where um, young fans spend so much of their time and, and really build a, a brand affinity to, uh, I think, the way that young people think about their sports experience. And I would say 
or I would argue that many people, you know, under the age of 30 uh, would almost like identify with coming up with sports with House of Highlights and Bleacher Report, right? Like in the same way that many of us did with Sports Center and ESPN when we were growing up watching that for hours in the morning, like young people wake up and watch highlights from the night before on Instagram or TikTok and YouTube. And that's being given to them by House of Highlights and Bleacher Report. So I think like that, that to me is like the the macro value of like the the power of brand in that instance, but also the expectation that it creates when something like that um, drops for young people to say, okay, I know what BR and HOH bring to us from an entertainment or a uh, content or highlight standpoint. So there's that kind of affinity from the jump that I think with a lot of other properties that have launched in, in recent history, uh, it's kind of been a, just a name or just a, another hub within an existing platform. And I, that's what I'm really excited about and, and think is, is special about the opportunity. So um, I want to touch on a couple of things again, looking back, but also the relevance of today. Yeah. Uh, when my college buddy, Joe Yanarello became editor in chief of Bleacher Report, um, I remember we had several conversations about this and that's when TeamStream launched. And it was all about the hyperlocal, whether it was print or video, delivering that news to those people. And I remember asking in classes, both some of the high school classes that we did and then our graduate classes and just in general, like how many people, where do you get your news? And yes, Bleach Report and hands went, mostly hands go up and they would say, oh, TeamStream. And then I remember, you know, as that kind of evolved and seeing the commercials or the, the signage in the back of baseball playoff games with Turner and you'd see Bleach Report and TeamStream. Now, when you go into, obviously that's changed, but now when you go into class, and I did this at the beginning of the semester, I mentioned Bleacher Report, and the question was, where do they get their news? And not a lot of hands went up, but I said, when, where do they get their fix of video? And all their hands, most of their hands went up. So it's obvious that's evolved. Um, how did that happen over time, even from when you were there, like that, that continued evolution from team stream, you know, printed word to where it is now. And you, you talk about the younger audience. Is there a point, a jumping off point with an age group that is going away from, from you guys? And how do you keep them there when they're just not as interested in, in the stuff that people 17 to 25 are interested in? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I think a lot of it, um, I would say, evolved as consumption evolved. I know that's like an easy way to say it, but mm -hmm. we're still in the editorial business. The BR app is still growing and very healthy and represents like a big part of our O&O, &O, you know, media business, which is still growing, um, you know, and I, and I think that's sometimes lost in the in the mix of a lot of the focus that I think gets put on social because of how ex like exponential the growth you can experience on social is. Um, but I think part of it was just a, a balancing act, right? Like you're trying to kind of maintain the core health of the, the dot-com and app business that obviously has millions of engaged followers, but there was, I think, better line of sight into how that would grow over time and like a more visible ceiling on what that business could scale to that given the growth stage that the company was in and the level of expectations and, and investment in it. I think the opportunity with uh, new media, whether it be social, video, um, expanded formats, I think created 
a much higher uh, ceiling and and kind of scope of influence for for BR as a a company than just sticking with maximizing you know the formerly Teamstream app would have been. So I think part of it was was that kind of balancing act, and part of it was also just those general changes in consumption, like you mentioned. Like I, I think there are still people that are obviously reading articles that still want just their you know teams and topics centric news, um, but I think for where BR and House of Highlights were able to win, given the national broadcast rights that we have for um, sports properties and um, kind of being one of those early movers to video with a, what I would call just a more like young, accessible voice. Um, it, it just allowed us to carve out a different role. Again, when when you're thinking about it, when we're talking 2015, 2016, the traditional uh media players at that time just said okay we're now nbc on instagram or cbs on instagram and a lot of the voice felt like the same thing as what you would see on dot com or on tv uh whereas what was formerly turner sports now warner bros discovery had the opportunity to say we have a, a completely different identity bring us on instagram or on youtube or on tiktok because we have these brands that have their own uh strategy and uh again like voice that um i think just was it was too big of an opportunity to kind of turn turn away from and as social has proliferated and as people have kind of had more and more choice to customize what they get how they get it and what they want i think part of it is just kind of recognizing you can row against the current and kind of like continue to um say on what people used to be consuming or you can kind of try to, um, you know, get out ahead of that. And I think that's what we've been successful in doing with social and, and video so far. So how do you keep them when they get a little bit older? So I think what's, what's interesting about, I'll speak just from a house of highlights lens. Sure. Um, I think house of highlights across the main four platforms, three, four platforms where we are is now over 85 million followers. And What's crazy about that number is that, you know, it's not just the Gen Z audience. And I think part of that comes back to youth culture influencing general culture. And I think all of us have experienced that throughout our lives, right? It's like in every decade, it's always like, okay, there's that resistance to the way young people are doing it, but then it tends to permeate into mainstream culture. And then people are like, okay, I guess I also like rock and roll or, or whatever it might be. And it, what's been interesting from from my vantage is like we've kind of seen that and experienced that with the way that House of Highlights presents sports and content in the same way. Like in those early days, it was like this best kept secret for, you know, people under 25. And then over time, as more and more people in those older age demographics came onto social, it was less so needing to change the way that we packaged content or uh, delivered it. It was more so a recognition once people came on that like, oh, that's that's fun. That, that feels uh, engaging. And I kind of see why people are there. Uh, younger people are there. And um, so, you know, I, I think that that's been a really interesting thing to see now that we're at true mass scale. Um, but I would say the other part of that too, is like, you know, the WBD sports portfolio and having a house of highlights, which skews much like the youngest, right. BR, which is a little bit more in that like, old like younger millennial square 
And then you kind of age out or age up into our linear properties and things like Max and MLB on TBS and NBA on TNT and like mm-hmm. what we're able to do with those, um, you know, linear brands. And you're kind of able to meet the sports fan wherever they are. And I think the ways that we've integrated um, the brands and the content does, doesn't necessarily alienate um, anyone at any part of that journey and kind of gives them different places to engage. Before uh, t- I'll shut up after this question, Tom, but um, can you talk just real briefly about some of those integrations and how they work now in, in WBD? Because it, like I said, it used to be, you know, you hear any Johnson read something. Oh, and for more information, go to TeamStream and sign up for TeamStream here. Now it's obviously, I would imagine it's much more integrated and much more thought of as like, how do we put all these universes together? Actually, lay, let me layer on my question because it relates to exactly what Joe just said. So when Omar started this in 14, from University of Miami, he was winging it. He didn't have a, much of a plan. He wasn't. He was ripping highlights, as you said. So it's one thing to do it as an independent, non-industry person just for fun. The leagues then started to develop strategies and policies around the sharing of highlights. This became a very big thing in the different leagues, as you know. But once this became more legitimized through the acquisition uh, in 2016, of HOA with Turner, they were the first, I think it's fair to say you were the first major sports media company that kind of brought in a, let's call it a rebel brand in social media into the house. But you have to worry about the NBA and you have to worry about NCAA, et cetera, because you're a major rights holder. So work that angle into Joe's, Joe's yeah. answer to Joe's question, because it's a, it's a, you have to treat it differently, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think um, one of the biggest learning experiences has been how to pick your battles um, along that journey and know <laughs> that, you know, you can't break down every single wall from day one. And I think what's uh, special about the, the company is how many how many people you have working uh, on sports that came in at different parts along that journey. So appetite for change, uh, appetite for the speed of change is on a, a pretty wide spectrum. But I think what the leadership group has done a really good job of uh, is knowing when to take those bigger shots, right? What When to make those bigger asks, either on behalf of the lead partners or in terms of our distribution model um, that that are worth it. And, and it's very hard, right? It's, it's a constant calculated uh, evaluation based on where we are in a, a rights negotiation or any type of deal. Um, but I, I do think, you know, to your point about when uh, BR brought on House of Highlights, like that mentality was kind of in the DNA of BR because when Turner Sports acquired BR, it was probably right. Just as, right it, it was it was just as um, eye opening for traditional sports media at that time in 2012 because it was like, wait, Bleacher Report isn't it just that you know slideshows lists brand like, like <laughs> that web, you know the website with uh, rundowns of the best crowds and tailgates and things like that. And I think, again, it, it comes back to the the long vision around, you know, the next generation of sports fans, digital and social, and the power that the brands could have in, in longevity that I think gave people the uh, confidence to stand with it, despite all of the challenges that came once we were like, you know, hey, our, our, sports rights are now extending to Bleacher Report and to House of Highlights, right? And uh, these brands are now going to have a bigger role in how we present those sports to fans, which 
anytime you're uh, doing things as your mid cycle through, you know, rights deals can always be um, challenging. But I, I do think it, it come it kind of ties back to, you know, particularly for, for leagues like the NBA, who we've obviously been in business with for a really long time, it, it comes back to their openness and, and willingness to uh, support that and to kind of see the value in the proliferation of of highlights and how we were expressing our rights on digital and social platforms and being a partner in that, which I know we've talked about and, and many people have written about and, and the NBA has probably gotten their their due credit over the years. But back in 2015, 2016, there, there were a lot of uh, big steps that needed to be taken and people to kind of see what it could become five, six years down the road. When at that time, again, you know, there's you have to overcome those initial fears of, you know, hey, if, if we're publishing highlights in real time for free on a social platform, are people still going to watch the full game? Like, are we cannibalizing ourselves? Yeah. Are we harming our own business? And I think uh, what became clear over time is that you're actually growing the pie and giving the the business or the properties more value and more resonance and more kind of uh, longevity by... Um, being powerhouses on the the platforms where people are going to be spending their time for the next 10, 20 years. So has the WBD piece of this, which obviously brings other pieces, um, how is, and you touched on this a little bit, how has it kind of helped grow your business at Bleacher Report? And thinking back, and, and the reason why I bring up the past is I remember when Turner bought Bleacher Report Dave Nemitz and and Joe and all these guys, there was like this, it wasn't as as kind of debauchery, but there was kind of like this uh, Wolf of Wall Street, Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street party that they had. I remember champagne bottle, and it was all these dudes sitting around who'd worked, you know, in, in basements. And it became like, wow, we sold the company, you know, now where is it gonna go? So so there's obviously positives and negatives to that. So has has the WBD partnership opened up as much? And are there things that you look back and say, man, I wish we didn't have these kind of constraints on us right now, or don't those exist to, to, to kind of go back to the, you know, the core audience of what, what, you know, Bleach Report was at the time? For sure. Um, you know, I think... Don't say anything to get you fired, by the way. Drew. No, 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 no. I, I think <laughs> zooming out, it has been immensely positive to have that tie and that relationship, right? And for all the reasons that you can imagine outside of the incredibly talented people that work and have worked on sports properties for 30, 40 years. But in addition to league rights and access and the legitimacy that those relationships have created for the account, um, you can't put a, a value on. And I think you've, we've all seen tons of sports media upstarts come and go over the last seven years that have tried to replicate the playbook. And there's always something missing there. And a lot of that comes back to the legitimacy, the access, the rights, and um, that that can't be overstated. But you know, I would say in general, and and this dates back to the David Levy years that you know Tom was referencing. Um, the the Turner Sports Leadership Group, and then the you know what became Warner Media and now Warner Bros Discovery. Um, we've found a, a very good balance of knowing when to keep certain things at arm's distance and allow it to have its own identity, culture, org structure, and so on, and when to bring things kind of closer to the mothership. And we've seen tons of companies do that the wrong way over the years, and that would kind of neutralize brand and water down voice. And, you know, for the first, uh, 
I don't know, like, you know, for, for the first several years, right? Like when Turner Sports acquired Bleacher Report, it was, you're a part of BR now, but you have your own office, your own org structure, your own CEO, you know, all these things. And over time, that's taken shape in different, you know, org realignments and all that fun stuff that comes with mergers and acquisitions. But there's always been this like steadfast recognition to not mess up the Bleacher Report thing. And that's easier said than done. You know, every time there's a, a, a reorg or a new leadership group brought in, um, that has an opportunity to change. And I think time and time again, over my last like eight and a half years, there's always been this recognition of there's something special that has been built there and that continues to grow there for that younger audience. Um, we need to listen and we need to kind of understand the right things to pull them into and then where to kind of maintain independence and 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 control and i would say as we've gotten bigger and bigger particularly over the last year or so with the new wbd sports organization like a lot of the leadership structure is now unified and and contained yeah. from a, a production uh from a uh social from a revenue standpoint which um has then put br and house of highlights on an even bigger stage and and I think a lot of that has been positive and has led to huge amounts of business growth, but it also forces, uh, I would say, some of the more edgy stuff that maybe you would do if you were just a 30-person startup. You have to kind of think through a, a different lens there um, mm -hmm. and not try to, you know, sneak into the Super Bowl or something like that because, you right. know, it'll, it'll happen. Oh, yeah. 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 And that's what I was going to ask about, Drew. So in this culture of social media highlights, and sports, not all sports are created equal in terms of their suitability. Maybe not suitability is not the right word, but their their appeal as short form video highlights. So, for example, the NBA produces tons of highlights in the way the game is played, and they seem to be dominating. If you look at just the social media numbers, just in general, beyond House of Highlights and you guys, <clears throat> other sports lag pretty noticeably in social media. And I believe, I would imagine part of that is that their highlights in those short form forms that, they, that they're presented are just not as appealing in that culture. So talk about that vis-a-vis -vis your strategy with the sports that are most important. Maybe you could just even let us know if you know it, I assume you do as the general manager, like what are the top five most popular sports in the in the vast archive and ongoing work of House of Highlights? Uh, so uh, on the first part, I would say yes, like that there is a meaningful difference uh, that we see from a performance uh, and audience interest perspective based on the nature of the sport. Like, and when I say nature, I'm saying the do they have helmets on? How close are the right. cameras when you're seeing mm -hmm. highlights? How how action dense are the formats in terms of the the pace of an outcome? Uh, how close is the crowd to that? What is the player's uh, animation when something happens? Like all, all of those are, are are meaningful factors. And obviously, with something like basketball, it, it almost seems like it was you know made for social highlights, even in terms of the uh, the dimensions that the the videos are able to right. fit into, like being vertical as opposed right. to the landscape. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think a, a, another big part of that is also the global aspect of the NBA, right? And obviously, you see similar, you know, insane 
social numbers with something like soccer, you know, a, a global sport because of, um, you know, the, the social platforms being distributed, right? Like everybody is on the same platform, able to engage with that same highlight. Um, and if you have something that has resonance across 7 billion people, just these around number versus 200 million, you're going to have a way bigger um, kind of net to cast there and, and people to bring in to be interested in it. So I think the global appeal of, of some sports will also have a, a big impact on the, the roll up numbers that you'll see for views and engagements, because you have a way bigger addressable audience um, for something like basketball, maybe than uh, some of the other sports that we're comparing it to. For, for House of Highlights in particular, um, basketball has always been like a, a clear number one. And part of that ties to obviously our, our league rights, but also just the, the core of the audience that came in. Um, but we see really strong performance with, uh, you know, football and also with baseball and, and hockey, the latter two, which would probably be surprising because they haven't always traditionally been um the the pop outs for for social highlights but ever since those become ever since uh wbd got those official rights it's allowed br and house of highlights to almost uh rethink the the way that those highlights could be expressed on social so um we uh, personally i'm very encouraged by those of like what what those can become because it's a different experience for our audience and it's a different challenge in trying to figure out the right avenues to bring them into hockey culture or uh, baseball culture if they didn't grow up, uh, you know, a huge fan of the of the game itself. Um, so I, I definitely think that those those are big factors. And I think the the other interesting one I would add to that mix is um, combat sports in general. Like I, I think we've always seen. Uh, kind of like waterfall moments during some of those really big fights or outcomes in ways that uh, you might be surprised by just knowing that it's not a huge part of our uh, volume on, on House of Highlights on a day in and day out basis. But when those really big combat sports um, events or moments happen, uh, you'll, you'll see huge amounts of engagement and, and views on posts. Uh, Drew, quick follow-up. There's been as we all know, a, a surging interest in women's sports over the last year. Especially. Tom just stole my question, by the way. Okay, sorry, Joe. Um, well, I'll, I'll give you my version of the question and you can add on it. Um, so we've seen records broken, television ratings records in NBA, the growth of MWSL, uh, the, the volleyball phenomenon of women's college volleyball, et cetera. I mean, everywhere you look, it's positive. It's, it's on the positive trend line. Is that translating into this other side of the sports media ledger, the short form video in places like House of Highlights? And, and so let me add on to that before. Um, you talked about rights before. How valuable would it be now with virtually every women's league, including women's uh, NCAA, now coming up for rights? Is it really important that you have, that, that WBD has part of the rights to those broadcasts? And how is how does that all kind of factor together? Well, right, and there's a real example, Joe, with the with with Drew's company, which is uh, the U.S. Uh, national t- soccer national team. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The with like the I would kind of break it into to two parts, right? There's women's sports, and then there's women's sports fans, right? So you have mm. sports leagues that are with women as as the athletes, as well as just the importance of 
bringing in more and more women as fans uh, of of leagues and, and kind of serving the needs of those audiences. And I think like both of those have been kind of complementary parts of, of the strategy for a while. Um, House of Highlights a couple of years ago launched a brand called Highlight Her, which is the most uh, female-focused social brand in the portfolio. And a lot of that is focused on um, elevating, you know, both from a storytelling perspective, but also from a tried and true like highlights and moments perspective, um, all of the best that is in women's sports. And I think we've seen a ton of audience interest there, both on Instagram as well as uh, YouTube and TikTok. And that's like as good of a confirmation as any that it's not too late to scale something on on social. And then I would say in addition to that, like Tom mentioned, like the the US soccer deal um, and the the fandom we've been able to kind of see and, and create around those games has been as good of an indicator of success as any that there is immense amounts of uh, value and interest in those properties. I think from a, a audience perspective, one of the things that um, people sometimes forget when thinking of, or looking at a house of highlights, right, with 80 million followers is, I don't want to get this wrong, but I think around 20% are female. 20 to 20. So, and if you think about that in, in terms of the total, you know, we're talking about 20, 20 million, 25 million female followers, which is like a, a massive group of people that have said, yes, I want sports content. And I think the way that we think about serving that audience through the lens of uh, social first sports, not just women's sports, but all sports, knowing that women's sports fans are fans of all sports has been really important. And then complementing that with um, other digital destinations within the portfolio that are specific to women's sports is kind of creating a nice ecosystem where we're able to kind of serve a lot of different passion points. So I would say short answer is like, yes, I think uh, th those will continue to be high areas of, of consideration for new rights that um, come up. And I know that both for like... Um, not not just from a linear perspective, I would say, like also from a, a social rights, you know, we have a, a great working relationship with the WNBA for um, the, the highlights and games that get shown on VR and, and uh, House of Highlights, as well as the NCAA for Women's March Madness. And, uh, you know, I, I think giving, waiting for it to, to just be a part of, you know, our, our linear portfolio, um, would kind of almost like miss the the opportunity and miss and miss the point. So um, I think it's been really cool to see, particularly over the last you know three four years, how much it started to take off. So so I'm going to ask a question which I never really thought about before because you just raised it. And actually, two parts, and this will be my last question: social rights. So have leagues actually? I don't know. Have leagues sold just like you are the official? social rights partner of the NWSL. I, I don't know, Tom, if that's, I've never really heard I think, that. I, I think they're usually addressed in the actual main contracts. Right. Of the deal. But specific to like, the Premier yeah. League and NBC, right. they insisted that all the highlights go through NBC Sports Soccer, which I personally think is ill-advised because Premier <laughs> League is way, way, way bigger than NBC Sports Soccer. But you've heard me complain about that right. before. Um, so yeah, Drew, is, is that an accurate uh, answer that I just said? Um, let me just cut one other piece yeah. and then uh, yeah, sorry. You know, we can obviously get to Tom's last question and wrap up. But but um, talk a little bit also about advertorial and editorial. Now, you can obviously, there has to be some piece of this that obviously has to make money in addition and have things to sell. So 
is there a, a policy or how does it work with a brand coming in and say, we want to do a seven part series sponsored by Hennessy on, on the NBA versus, oh, there are an amazing NBA stories that we need to go and cover with editorial. How does, how does that piece work as well, in addition to the social rights? For sure. So I think on the social rights question, it, it, they almost tie together, right? So there's official rights deals and what I would say, what leagues or partners allow. And the, the allow part is why you see NBA highlights on many media channels that don't have official rights deals. The difference is that they're not able to monetize those rights. So, um, and obviously there's volume constraints, there's permissions and things of that nature. So in some of the, the leagues or sports that I mentioned that maybe House of Highlights doesn't have rights to, we have um, open dialogue and relationships with those leagues that allow for us to kind of post select highlights, which again, allows for the audience to grow and for us to, to create a better um, user experience, but it's not necessarily stuff that we can bring in sponsors again. So that's what obviously makes the large media rights deals that WBD has so valuable to uh, HOH and DR is the digital and social um, downstream, you know, use that's built into those larger deals. And uh, I think like that's what, what was, I would say, you know, 10, 20 years ago, probably like a, a subsection of these larger linear rights deals is now, a core part of the negotiating table. And I would also say is a, is a thing that, you know, league partners put real value on when evaluating where they want to go with their rights deals is like, it's not just enough to have a, a big linear property. It's like, well, what are you going to do for us from a digital and social perspective to keep us young and, and proliferating on the platforms where people are spending time. And I think part of that ties back to the, the value of BR and HOH within this portfolio for sure. Um, from a balance of editorial versus um, sponsorship or branded content, I would say the, the especially from a, a social perspective, we've found a really good mix of getting advertisers to kind of buy into the the voice and the audience of the handles, which makes for a much seamless, much more seamless. Uh, experience of saying, you know, rather than starting from scratch, here are content initiatives or ongoing franchises that we believe in that have audience resonance that you can sponsor or be a part of. And that takes time, that takes years of kind of track record on, on social and kind of proving it to get some of the blue chip brands along for that ride. But that would I, that's what I would say is like, we're, we're most successful when we're not trying to recreate the wheel, right from scratch and say, okay, how do we dream up a new series based specifically on it, you know, an advertiser's um, asks, but how do we marry those asks to what makes a BR and HOH special? And, and that's the reason that I think brands want to work with us and it is a, not just put our commercial on your platform, but how do we use the voice? How do we use the, the, the resonance with audience to make an, an even bigger kind of message come across? So from like a volume and output standpoint, you know, ads on, on social, I would say are, are a, a small percentage relative to the whole, just because we publish so much content every day on social feeds. Um, but we always keep that kind of balance in mind of not wanting to have too much, uh, you know, ads in, in our daily content mix so that it doesn't feel like a, uh, a commercial strip or, or things like that. So it's, it's a kind of constant balancing act. Okay. 
All right, uh, Joe, one more biz question, then mm-hmm. we can do our last segment and wrap up because I know we're running out of time. True, I'm going to ask you what is probably an essay question, but I'm going to ask for a short answer, <laughs> uh, which is, which is, as Joe knows, my favorite thing to do. Um, there's obviously a lot of issues right now in this world with the third-party platforms, ranging from Elon's ownership of X to the Chinese Commun- Com- Communist Party being involved with TikTok, uh, to some of the controversial situations associated with Meta, you obviously are depending on these companies for your business. Can you just comment on how e- how important each of them is to you at this moment in time and where you see them going in terms of their relative importance over the next few years? I would say they're all, without, I guess, power ranking them, um, yeah. The third party platforms, the biggest social scale platforms have an immense amount of importance to um, not just our business, but I think, you know, consumption and entertainment in general. Absolutely. Right. This is you're just a microcosm. Yeah. An article yesterday that I think YouTube is now more consumed than Netflix with teenagers. Right. Like, I think for, for me, the biggest thing is a recognition of the true scale that these platforms are at and rather than saying these need to come down or uh these need to um or or these might go away it's more of to say what's the best way to ensure call it fairness and some type of like fair grounds of, of operating knowing how much of our economy and how much of our um you know working attention is is spent on them Mm -hmm. and i think been the hardest challenge of the last two, three years from a, a freedom of speech perspective, from a regulation perspective, all things that I, I think are probably far out of my out of my pay grade. But from from my perspective, I think it's really uh about following the eyeballs and follow and, and making sure you have a, a presence on the platforms where people are spending their time. I think those platforms uh may change and there will be new ones that come up and challenge uh, the existing ones. And I think that's a really important part of like the, the free open market in the same way that if we were having this conversation five years ago, TikTok wouldn't have even been a consideration. And now it's in that exact kind of uh, power, power group. So not a great answer, uh, but I, but I, but I, I, let me, let me just actually be more pointed. I, I assume Instagram is number one, since you have, 40 almost 50 million followers which is crazy high is that fair to say instagram is the top? For highlights instagram tiktok yeah. youtube i would say are like 1a 1b 1c right okay i figured that um, but again like I, I think even putting youtube in that category as a as a social platform is probably limiting what i i think it truly has become as just the most consumed destination for video anywhere. And we could probably have another hour conversation about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that really at its core, um, there will be chains. There's going to continue to be chains. That's kind of out of our, out of our, um, out of our scope. But I think at the end of the day, it's about what do people think about when they think of house of highlights and of BR and if the platforms come and go or change over time and we're on a new place, how many people do we uh, get to sign up or follow or subscribe to what we're offering? And that's based on, I think, audience trust 
and that kind of track record of what we've done for sports over the last, you know, eight, nine years. Cool. All right. In our last segment, Joe, I'll sure. just go ahead and tee it up. Um, uh, we gave you fair warning, Drew. So well, two questions we ask. He's a regular listener. He should know what the, he That's should true. be well prepared. It's true. Yeah. And this should be easy for him. Yeah. Um, so two questions and we can make this brief because I know we, you got to leave in a couple minutes. Number one, how are you keeping up yourself to do your job well uh, in terms of what you're reading, listening to, following, et cetera? And then can you offer some career advice, especially for those uh, young people that are getting their careers going or uh, in the process of kind of moving to moving, leveling up, as they say, with their careers? So I'm a big fan or I've become a big fan of uh, Tube Filter, which is really focused on uh, creator content and kind of like the booming creator economy. They just do a really good job in their daily newsletter of aggregating uh, the latest and greatest there. And obviously with House of Highlights uh, being such a big uh, part of the creator economy and creator-led content, I'm, I'm a big uh, advocate of what Tube Filter has done in, in growing that space. Um, I would say from a podcast perspective, um, you can't not listen to, to this one. So I think that goes to oh, that. Thank you. I've also really liked uh, um, uh, Joe Pomp over the years, like mm. what he's done with Huddle Up and, and kind of focusing on like sports business and uh, kind of some of the next gen stories that he's telling, I find uh, very interesting. And obviously there's an audio version of that as well. And um, I, I found those to be kind of more modern takes on, you know, traditional business sports business stories. Um, and then in terms of, uh, you said career advice for those kind of starting out, uh, the biggest thing I feel like I've been saying recently when being asked that is, uh, LinkedIn and work ex and like your, your work proof of work, work experience, um, from a LinkedIn perspective, I think you can't not have a active, updated, well-reflected uh, LinkedIn profile. It sounds very simple, but I, I'd say personally, I'm way sooner to go to a LinkedIn profile than open a, a resume these days. Um, mm -hmm. I find it way more engaging and, and insightful. Um, and then in terms of proof of work in a portfolio, I, I think... Um, I think it's just important to recognize how much opportunity there is for asset creation. And when I say that, it could be TikTok videos, YouTube videos, uh, a deck, um, anything that you kind of pull together to show that you're not just sending out applications, but you're actually creating content, creating uh, projects, thought experiments, like anything like that, I, I just view as a real differentiator now in, in 2023. Um, and that comes from as junior level, like if you've never had a job before in sports, it doesn't mean that you can't be creating content or things to point to that said, hey, I, you know, I, I read this article and I didn't just think it was interesting. I made my own business model showing, you know, what I think the future outcomes could look like for five years or Hey, I see this sports property is coming up. Here's why I think it could be good for your business. Like almost taking that additional step, um, I find to be critically important. And obviously that's in a business context. When we get into creative and social jobs, um, it's a non-negotiable. Like that we're not hiring anybody that doesn't have a robust uh, either portfolio to point to of content that they've made 
or their own handles that have millions of followers that they can point to and say, Hey, I've done this on my own already. Like, I think the the tools are are so accessible at this point that if you want to kind of work in these fields, um, a, 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 a price of entry uh, to get into it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good advice. Cool. All right, Joe, wrap us up. We yep. can let Drew go. Yep. So uh, once again, thanks to our guest today, Drew Muller, now who has his hands, I guess, on the handles of House of Highlights and many things, uh, Bleacher Report. Uh, a great alumnus of our program, uh, a proud follower of Tulane, all things Tulane group, Green Wave. Um, and, you know, we look forward, Drew, to having you back on and having you back on campus and talking about the continued advances because this has been an education uh, both for myself and for Tom. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, Absolutely. thank you, Drew. It's a real pleasure. Oh. We wish you continued good luck. Whoa, uh, I, I almost buried the lead there, Tom. I forgot. So, Drew, where can people find you? Oh, after all this great right. LinkedIn stuff. The, this, is the, this is our only semblance yeah. of advertisement in our yeah. podcast. Uh, you can find me at, I think it's Drew A. Muller on LinkedIn. That's probably the best place to connect. Or send me an email at drew.muller at wbd.com. Um, and I'd be happy to, to chat with anyone interested. Yeah, and if you're not following House of Highlights on any of these big platforms, do that. And the newsletter, too. At least you can do after listening to Drew's great insights. But uh, thanks. By the way, so, Tom, yet another week goes by, and yet I now have to add two filter to my daily email reports. I don't know. I know. Well, that's why I I like asking that question. I love love hearing these answers. Um, I went through this week, and I I unsubscribed to a lot of the junk mail, so it actually opened up a lot of space to get quality (laughs) now. So two filters now going on my list. I just got a message earlier that my storage on my iPhone is full. There's just too much content that I I keep bringing. Anyway. All right. So uh, once again, you've been listening to The Cusp Show. Uh, thanks again, Drew Muller, for, for joining us. Uh, I'm Joe Favorito for my co-host, Tom Richardson. It is the middle of October. We will be back next week, and we'll see you down the road.